community is when you're only in community for yourself. That's the thing that kills community. It's when community becomes unsafe. How many of you have a friend like that, or maybe used to have a friend like that, who the only reason they're in the relationship is because they need something from you? How healthy is that relationship? It's not, right? We have to be powerful like Jesus to be willing to serve, but that has to be mutual. Have you ever brought an idea to a group of people and the more they contributed their ideas, the better it got? If you would have stopped with just your initial thought, it would have been mediocre. God wants to embrace community for just that reason. As we'll find in today's message, the more people support each other, the stronger each individual becomes. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, verse 9 with his continuing study entitled, The Issue of Power. God, I want to be a vehicle and a force for good in the world, not just perpetrating a selfish agenda that leaves everybody hurting. This speaks to us about personal responsibility. Now, I want to, I've been reading about this recently, and I, I read a sociological study. There was a case in, I think it was in the 70s, where there was a woman in New York who was repeatedly attacked over some 30 minutes on a street. Repeatedly attacked. 38 people in the, in the adjacent homes all heard it. Nobody intervened. Nobody did. And reading some of the research about this attack, they, they made the case that one sociologist said the reason they did it is because it was self-preservation. They just couldn't engage. I mean, literally, this woman was being attacked on their street for 30 minutes, three different times. But then they started thinking, is it really just self-preservation? Is there more there? And then what happened was they started doing research. And what they found, and this is fascinating, they found that they, they set up these scenarios where one person thinks they're the only person there and they hear somebody in distress. Eight out of ten times, when someone thinks they're the only person there, they will engage in trying to help that person. If they think that there's other people there, they're not the only one, only three out of ten times will someone engage. And what it says is that if a person believes it is their personal responsibility and if they don't do it, no one else will, they will rise up. But if people believe that everybody else will take care of it, what do they do? Most times they do nothing. Now, how many of us have made decisions about our lives in Christ, abdicating our personal responsibility, expecting someone else to do it. How often do you hear at church, man, we need help in the kids' ministry. You think, yeah, I'd probably do that, but someone else will step up and do it. Ah, you see, how often when we talk about tithing, you look around, like, look, there's thousands of people here. The church doesn't want me to invest because everyone else will take care of it. Man, we just did our year-end numbers. I'll be honest, between the number of people who are here, the number of people who are engaged in service or giving, the numbers are pretty sad, actually. And the reason I bring this up is because God's 
has invested you with personal responsibility for the world around you. You cannot abnegate the personal responsibility thinking someone else will do it. That is not the life of Christ that God has given us. God is saying, look, you are my chosen one. You are my priest. You are my child, and I want you to engage. And brothers and sisters, we want all of the people of God to be fully engaged in every area of their passion. We can't pretend that someone else is going to do it. Because the life that God has given us in Christ is about each one of us rising up and being a vibrant part of his body. Not, well, listen, I don't, you know, can you imagine if the lungs were like, look, we got a bladder. They'll take care of the breathing part. Can you imagine that? If the bowels and the intestines say, listen, we got a mouth. There's a way in and out. I'm gonna just, I, I mean, they got it. It's okay. That's how many of us live our lives in Christ. So what we're doing is we have the power. We're just choosing to be apathetic to a world. We all thank God that Jesus is not apathetic about our lives. And brothers and sisters, we live in a day and age where if the people of God do not engage, nobody else will. We need to engage. We need to say, my exercise of my power is to be the servant of all, to serve God and to bless humanity. I want to engage in making the world a better place. I want to engage in seeing my family of faith be the most strategic and effective to disciple and reach people with the gospel. My money is best spent by investing in eternity. It's funny, Elizabeth and our staff, she's she's a witty woman. She said, you know this YOLO series, You Only Live Once? She's like, maybe we need to change that not to YOLO, but to Why Lie? Not you only live once, although it's true. Y-L-I-E. Your life impacts eternity. That's what Ecclesiastes 4 is about. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes, that's what the Bible is about. Not you only live once, but your life impacts eternity. Why lie? Why lie? And pretend like it doesn't. It does. We need to be powerful like Jesus. Now, notice what happens in verse 4. It says, again, I saw that for all toil and every skillful work, a man is envied by his neighbor. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. Better a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for the wind. Then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother, yet there is no end to all his labors, nor is his eye satisfied with riches. But he never asks, for whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? See, the preacher of Ecclesiastes now sees that one of the main motivations for work within humanity is human rivalry. But he says, he's like, look, I saw all the toil and every skillful work that a man is envied by his neighbor. We used to call that keeping up with the Joneses. I don't know who the Joneses are, but they get a bad rap. But how many of us live our lives to try and keep up with some standard? This is what life is. This is how it's supposed to look. We make 
a series of awful decisions to try and keep up with an ideal that we don't even know if that's actually a good thing. And so because so much of human motivation is rivalry, what you find is that it's very easy to use your power to isolate yourself. That's what this is talking about. And really what we find in these verses is that you were created for relationship and so are I. You were created to have relationship with people. Because look what it says. It says, your neighbor will envy you and that's vanity. Then he says, a a fool folds his own hands and consumes his own flesh. He's saying that because maybe in your power, there's a power play. Your neighbor wants what you have. You want what your neighbor has. Then what you do, you turn inward. That's what we do. We turn inward. Fold our own hands and we consume ourselves. We destroy ourselves. You know, and then as it keeps going, we get all these different ideas. He says, there is one alone, verse 8. Without companion, he is neither son nor brother, yet all is, yet there is no end to all his labors, nor is his eye satisfied with riches. And he never asks, whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? See, what he's saying is that one of the ways, and this is huge in 21st century American Western culture, is that because we're so self-centered, we don't let anybody else in. Right? And that's why we live in a day and age where people put off making a commitment to marriage. And if they make a commitment to marriage, one out of every two marriages don't last. Because in our selfishness, we just want to be ourselves. And we want to be by ourselves. And we want to consume ourselves with our own selfishness. And the reality is this. God created you for relationship. Why? Because you are relational at the essence of who you are. Because God is relational in the essence of who he is. God, the Father, Son, and Spirit for all of eternity enjoying sweet fellowship with one another. Creating everything. We were created in God's image and likeness. You are hardwired for relationships. And that's why relational discord is such a huge thing in our cultures because we are hardwired for it, but everything about us is like, because we live in a self-centered culture and we're also hardwired for relationship, we want relationships, but we're also terrified of them. Right? We're, I'm in and I'm out. And it's a constant negotiation. How many of you find yourself trying to engage in relationship and then getting a little freaked out because the other person you're having a relationship and you, you're all a little weird sometimes. I mean, it's true. The problem with relationships is it shines a mirror on you and we don't like what's in the mirror. But what's interesting is when you're self, when you're by yourself, what? You're also shining a mirror. You don't like that part of you either. So the human condition is one of craving relationship and also being terrified of them at the same time. And I believe that that is why God not only saved people and made them proper in, you know, like their own private interiority, but he also brought us into this thing called the church. God not only saved you, but he brought you into a family. And that's why we're such a big fan of groups here at Crossroads. Well, we realize some of you are engaged and you have community everywhere. You have people, relationships all over the place. Just by nature of, yeah, I'm in here, I'm serving here, I'm doing this. There's others of us here who, who you come, but you're not connected at all. And when you're not connected, you miss out. And we're going to see it in a second how when you are disconnected, that network, that relational network of help in time of need, greater success in times of work is lacking. So if you're here today and you're like, look, I'm just not all that connected. I'm kind of scared of getting connected. 
Join the club. Everyone here is scared to be connected with one another. We all are. And don't forget, why, you might say, well, why are we scared? Remember what happened when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? What was the first thing we find out about them? Not that they were naked, but they did what? They hid from God. Because when their eyes were open, they became self-aware, and all of a sudden you hide. And so all of us hide on a certain level from ourselves, from each other, and from God. And what happens when you bring people together into community, now all of a sudden you can't hide anymore. And there's that part of you that you just want to, you know, it's that fight, fight or flight syndrome. You're either in community, you just want to duke it out because you're hiding on the inside, but you can't, or you run away. But because we are apt to hide, we miss out on essentially what humanity is all about. The idea of community, relationship, people being together, learning how to work out our garbage together. My wife would always say, Daniel, I never realized how sinful I was until I got married. I think that's a backhanded compliment. <laughs> She's like, man, I'm not nearly as bad as that guy, but I got some issues. But that, that's what happens in community. All of a sudden, you're like, maybe, maybe every morning you wake up a little grumpy. You put yourself in community or you get married and all of a sudden you can't be grumpy. That affects somebody else. See, community is God's designed way to make us more like Jesus. And you were created for it. You crave it. But notice this. A man without a family, he's doing all this stuff. He's like, what am I even doing this for? What does it mean? Why is it there? So you were created for relationship. Now look at what happens now. Because now we see how essential this is. Look at verse 9. Two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their labor. And if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. For he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So not only were we created for relationship, now we find that community is essential. Community is essential. Why? Because two are better than one. Now, I gotta see, when you say two is better than one, then you're like, well, am I not good on my own? No. But it's Gestalt theory. Ever hear about Gestalt? That the whole is better than the sum of its parts? Like, how many of you have ever been excited about a tailpipe? Anybody? Now, don't get me wrong. You buy a tailpipe because you, you're tricking your car out if you're into that thing. It's all excited and, and it makes funny noise that you like and it's shiny. But that tailpipe on its own is not cool. But you put that tailpipe on your ride and what's up? It's got it going on, right? See, the tailpipe on its own might be exciting, but it's only really exciting when it's on your car. I mean, imagine, ima you ladies, imagine if your husband showed you the ring he was going to give you when he married you, but he didn't put it on your finger. Say, I'm going to put it on the box on the shelf. You going to like that? Maybe, but what do you really want? You want it on your finger. The, the, it belongs there. By saying two is better than one doesn't mean that you are not enough on your own, but you're better with other people. And it's true. You are better with other people. And they give you all these reasons why community is essential. I mean, look at this. Because they have a good reward for their labor. When you have more than one, there's productivity. 
Notice verse 10. If they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. There's help in time of need because there's people around you. Notice this. If two lie down together, they will keep warm. But can you, be, can you keep warm alone? Why? Because there's comfort in life. And then, of course, it says, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. There's safety and security. Most often when I meet somebody who's really on hard times, there's always one common factor for them, and that is they do not have a relational network. And maybe their own decisions squandered that relational network. But most times you're like, where is the help structure? And it's not there. And that proves this verse. That proves these verses. That community is essential because when there's need, if you have a field and you're harvesting the field, if there's one of you, you can get so much done. If there's two of you, you can get twice as much done. See, community is absolutely essential for life. And I'm here to tell you that I believe that God wants all of us to use our power to invest in our community, to become vibrant members of a church, not just a church, but vibrant community of faith. Now, I'm here to tell you, though, one of the biggest things that kill community is when you're only in community for yourself. That's the thing that kills community. It's when community becomes unsafe. How many of you have a friend like that, or maybe used to have a friend like that, who the only reason they're in the relationship is because they need something from you? How healthy is that relationship? It's not, right? It's not. And so we have to be powerful like Jesus, be willing to serve, but that has to be mutual. That a community can't just be, I want people around me because if I fall down, I need you to pick me up. And if I'm cold, you better make me warm. See, that's not being powerful like Jesus. That's being selfish and now expecting the whole world to revolve around you. But community is essential because it's supposed to be the people of God together in Jesus' name, helping one another through life. Being strength when strength is meaning. And then you're strength for somebody else. We always like to say church is a hospital. And the patients become the doctors over time. You come in wounded, you get cleaned up, and then you become a nurse. And you help other people. That's the way it's designed. It's essential. And that's why the writer to the Hebrews says this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of son, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Society begins with your neighbor. A true exercise of power begins with investing in the lives of other people, being a vibrant part of a community. And I can only tell you, brothers and sisters, I want to see all of us engage in the work of the family of God. There is so, you all have so much to offer one another. If you're willing to say, I'm going to just step in to it. Community is essential. It's essential. And I want you to notice how this chapter closes here. Look at what happens in verse 13. I mean, this is an amazing way this has been laid out for us. It's amazing. Because think about it. You get, we need to be powerful like Jesus. And and then you get this reality that you're created for relationship and that community is essential. But now we see the shadow side. We see, what if you choose not to do this? Look at what it says. Verse 13. 
Better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who will be admonished no more. For he comes out of prison to be king. Although he was born poor in his kingdom, I saw all the living who walk under the sun, verse 15. They were with the second youth who stands in his place. There was no end of all people over whom he was made king. Yet those who come afterward will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and grasping for the wind. See, we have here a story of two unnamed people, a revolutionary and a king. And what you find is that the king in his power has chosen to isolate himself and not listen to anybody around him. He can't be admonished by anyone. And then you have this young revolutionary who comes on out who has the wisdom of a multitude of counselors. And what happens is the king is the king, but he doesn't even have a kingdom because they're all following the young revolutionary. And what it teaches us is this. It's an example that isolation breeds folly. Isolation breeds folly. Folly. Isolation breeds folly. See, you see what's going on here. You have this poor and wise young guy who's coming out of jail, but God wants, he's God's man. And the king is old and he's foolish. Why? Because he won't listen to anybody. He won't, he won't let anyone speak into his life, into his circumstances. He doesn't realize that he lost everybody. He's not willing to listen to anybody. And I think this is important because you see what happens if we need to be powerful like Jesus and our default is to pull out of relationships to self-protect and we find that we're created for relationships and community is essential, we have to realize that when you choose to isolate yourself, you are setting yourself up for failure. And how many of us have done that? Let's be honest. A lot of us. Why? Because what we do is someone says, look, I'm concerned about you because of X, Y, and Z and you don't like it because they're right and we don't like hearing when someone's right and then you pull away from them. They just don't get me. They're judging me. I just don't want to have to deal with them. And then you go out on this long roundabout with all sorts of pain. When if you would have just listened and engaged in that relationship the first time, none of this stuff would have happened. None of this stuff would have happened. See, here's the deal. Remember when they asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was? You guys remember that one? Classic. Matthew chapter 22. How did he answer when they asked him what the greatest commandment was? He said, I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, if that's the only Bible verse you ever heard, you have everything you need right there. Because the rest of the Bible is unpacking who is this God and what does it mean to love him with my totality of my being and because of God's love, how do I actually love my neighbor? Who's your neighbor? Everybody. Every single human being is your neighbor in some way. We have solidarity with the whole of humanity because we find ourselves in the face of every single person. Jesus is designed us for relationship and for community because being productive in a community can teach us how to be like Jesus. When we invest in the lives of other people, God's work is done. 
As he closed the message, Pastor Daniel read in Ecclesiastes how we shouldn't forsake assembling with others. That when a person insists on only their own way, that isolation breeds folly. God does amazing things when we simply listen to His Word. He transforms and shapes us into His image as we are exposed to the Bible. Maybe after listening today, someone specific is on your heart. You know that this message is something they need to hear. Please log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. You can share this message to your Facebook timeline, tweet a link, or even embed the audio wherever you'd like. So log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and share this message with your family, friends, and neighbors. Join Pastor Daniel in the next edition of Jesus Is Real Radio, when we'll learn just how seriously we should consider our words before we speak. Once out, they can never be put back. We will be again reminded of the essential need to fear God, which tempers our actions. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series entitled You Only Live Once next time. Until then, may God bless. <laughs>